So tonight's reading can be found from Jeremiah chapter 7, which can be found on page 765 in the Church Bibles in front of you. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors, forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, Burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh, where I first made a dwelling for my name. And see what I did to it, because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did, all you fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes to offer to the Queen of Heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger. But but am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the crops of your land, and it will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices, and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, But I gave them this command. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forwards. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore, say to them, This is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to corruption. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament on the barren heights. For the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topheth or the, va- or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. At that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and prophets, and the bones of the people of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves. They will not be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of the heavens, which they have loved and served, which they have followed and consulted and worshipped. They will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Emily. Um, it's pretty, pretty tough stuff, isn't it? Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this. Uh, Father, we, we know your word doesn't beat about the bush, and this seems to be one of those places where that is particularly the case. So we pray, Father, you help us to, to rightly understand this and to take it to heart and to work this through in our lives, both individually and as a church, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I gave this evening uh, that title, Can Religion Send You to Hell? It's on the back of the green sheets as well. Um, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? And uh, it makes it sound like a sort of tub-thumping kind of thing. We could rephrase it and, and say this. Here's the question. Can religion actually drive you away from God? If that's a little bit more acceptable, then that's how we'll, uh, how we'll think. Of course, uh, in the end, an eternity away from God 
is the same thing, but it's perhaps to put it slightly more gently. And what a ridiculous question. You'd think, wouldn't you? Of course the answer has to be, uh, uh, no, of course, religion is the thing that takes you to God, isn't it? You know, we're doing religion tonight. The idea is it takes us to God, not drives us away from God. So, so to put it in reverse is a very strange thing. But the trouble is, Jeremiah chapter 7 says that certainly for the people of Israel then, uh, actually their religion was the very thing which was driving them away from God. It was the thing which should have helped them in bringing them to God, but it was actually the very thing which was doing the opposite. It was driving them away from God, or perhaps it might be more accurate to say it was driving God away from his people. So we need to explain. I need to say at the outset, uh, rather like last Sunday evening, this passage, um, uh, well, it's, it's pretty horrible, really, isn't it? When you look at it, if it was a film, it would be at least a 15 or possibly an 18. And it's harsh and it's in your face and there are some pretty distressing scenes here. If this was on the, uh, the news, uh, the, the newsreader would say, you know, be aware there are some distressing scenes coming up. And we're being told here that uh, um, <clears throat> just because you're religious doesn't mean necessarily that you're right with God. doesn't mean necessarily that you know God and that God knows you. So if you look to verse 12 here, for instance, go now to the place of Shiloh. So God tells Jeremiah to go and visit Shiloh. It's about 30 miles from Jerusalem. So a good trek up there and then a trek back again. And, uh, uh, and at the time of the judges and the early chapters of 1 Samuel, Shiloh was the place where it happened. Shiloh was the place where the ark was, the ark which held the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Shiloh was the, the HQ of religion for God's people. Uh, it represented God's presence with his people. And yet we read here that because of their wickedness, look at the end of verse 12, and the way that they ignored God's prophets, verse 13, it was destroyed. It actually was destroyed by the Philistines in about 1050, so uh, what? So let's say about 400 years before Jeremiah was alive. Uh, the most religious place, the headquarters uh, of God's people and their religion was wiped out at the command of God. So religion can be a very dangerous thing. There are no guarantees of life uh, through being a religious person. And you look in verse 15 here, for instance, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did uh, to all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. That's part of the northern kingdom. That's where, uh, kind of like Sh where Shiloh was, okay? So that's God's challenge to his people through Jeremiah. I will thrust you from my presence. And the word thrust there is not just the kind of gentle kind of little shove, but it's a strong and it's a violent word. It's a violent word that's used in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 22, if you're taking notes, where God's people will be thrust, he says, into outer darkness. Again, words that Jesus used when he was telling people about hell. So religion is no guarantee of life. Now come with me, if you would, to the end of chapter 7. So let's have a look at that uh, chapter, that bit that's headed the Valley of Slaughter in our church Bibles. It's gruesome. He's talking about the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, just outside Jerusalem. In Jesus' day, it was a city rubbish tip. 
In Jesus' day, it was a place where they, it would kind of burn and it was there all the time. It was home to some particularly gruesome kind of worms which would eat away and you wouldn't want them to get under your skin and so on. And Jesus referred to it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 48. Uh, and he talked about the fire not being quenched. And Jesus was using it as a visual aid to say, well, that's a bit what hell's like. And the place shut off from the presence of God. It was a place of a pagan worship in Jeremiah's time. Look at verse 31, Topheth there. Uh, it means fireplace, literally. Fireplace. And it was there that God's people followed the pagan gods. And they burned their own babies. And they claimed it was God's idea. That's right, yeah. They took their own little babies. And as a sign of their own devotion to God, they threw them in the fire in the very place that Jesus used to describe hell. Can religion send you to hell? Oh, yes, it can. Or more gently, can it drive you away from God? Yes, yes, it can. But then just before we get to the, uh, the first main point, come, just have a look at chapter 8 and verses 1 to 3 here. Because uh, it's talking about unburied corpses, or corpses that were buried but then get unburied. So either not buried in the first place or were kind of exhumed. And uh, in, in Jewish thinking, uh, even criminals should be buried. And it is simply unthinkable to be unburied. And it's even more unthinkable to become unburied in the sense of being exhumed from the grave and spread on the ground like fertilizer. And that's what Jesus that's what Jeremiah, rather, sorry, is saying here. As part of God's judgment, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, uh, as part of his judgment on his people for the worship of the sun and the moon and the stars, the bones of God's people from all levels of society, the really religious guys, the priests and the high priests and so on, and the leaders, and right all the way through society, every single one of them, from the greatest to the least, would be exhumed from their graves, and at the end of verse 2, they're going to be used as fertilizer. And he says the lot of those who survive is going to be worse uh, than those who perished. That's chapter 8. And verse 3. So can religion drive you from God? And the strong conclusion here of what Jeremiah is saying is that, yes, it is. And this, yes, it can. And, and this chapter is a great warning. It's like these road signs. You get a triangle on a road side, you know, you know their warnings. And Jeremiah chapter 7 is a series of warnings. So the question is this. If not all religion drives us away from God, and we trust and we pray that week by week actually our religion drives us to God, then what kind of religion is going to drive us away from God? What is the sort of religion that we need to be very wary of? And there are five things here. And uh, the first one of these is this. Religion that can drive you away from God, yes it can, and the first thing is if it's de-biblical. What I mean by that is, uh, well, have a look at verse 31, where, where Jeremiah, God is speaking, they built the high places to Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. In other words, something that's not commanded by God, something that's not in the Bible. 
They were saying, they were making their child sacrifices, their own kids. And they were sacrificing them in the fire. And God says, I didn't tell you to do that. That's not what I want of my people. That is not, that is not a godly or a right thing to do in any stretch of the imagination. And the people are worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars. And God says, I didn't tell you to do that. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 19, he says, actually, that's wrong. That's detestable. So all these things that Jeremiah is preaching against here, none of it's commanded by God and much of it is specifically outlawed by God. It's banned. So it's really important to see that you see that the Bible sets the agenda. The Bible sets the boundaries for us. That's the way God does it. So, for instance, Ten Commandments outline Exodus chapter 20, for instance. Commandment number one. It says this. You shall have no other gods before me. That is, no other gods before me. Commandment number two says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. You shall not bow down to them nor worship them. So that's what we've got to do. We worship God, no one else, and no thing else. But the truth is, even today, we may not be quite as brazen as the way they did it in their days, but even today we do, don't we? Our idols. And we all have them, don't we? Like our phones or our holidays or our looks or our bank account or our children or our job or our career or our exam results or our friendship group. And you see, and dozens of other things as well. And any of them can come between us and God. And actually, we end up worshipping those things, giving them our attention, making them a priority in our lives. And when we're worshipping those things or other people, we don't worship the one person who says, I want you to worship me and no one else. And that is our great and living God. And when our religion becomes an idol, or when our religion takes us to the worship of idols rather than the true and living God, then that is a very serious issue and a very serious problem. And it have you end up then with a religion that actually takes you away from God rather than towards him. The very opposite of what it's supposed to be doing. Second, Religion that can drive you away from God? Well, it will do so if it's dead. So, for instance, look at verse 27. Verse 27 here. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. That's what uh, God is saying Uh, to Jeremiah and he goes on therefore say to them this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction truth has perished it has vanished from their lips cut off your hair and throw it away take up a lament on the barren heights for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath it's difficult to get away from the, uh, the idea here that he's talking about hell under his wrath. Now, what about that thing at the beginning of verse 29 where it says, cut off your hair? Now, it's most likely to refer to this. For some people in Jeremiah's day, the really holy, really, really keen people, they would take a vow of obedience and keenness to God. A bit like taking, becoming a monk today, okay? But instead of wearing a habit, they'd just let the hair grow. 
and they'd never cut it, like Samson did. And uh, uh, and it's a sign, an outward sign of their commitment to God. So on the one, and then the trouble is, you see, so they had their hair, really long hair, halfway down the back, that, that kind of thing, telling the world they were really keen and enthusiastic, but actually their lives didn't live up to it. So he says, cut your hair. No point in having uncut hair because you're not keeping your vows, guys. They were Nazarites, very religious people. If you're not keeping your vows, you're not living close to God, you're not living for God, then cut it off. But the trouble is for them, you see, it was all show and no heart. Very religious, but it wasn't doing any good. And that comes a lot in Jeremiah chapter 7. People don't listen, people don't live it out. It's dead. It's mere formality. Enjoys their hearts went in it. They were singing the songs. They were singing them because it was a nice tune. But they weren't really engaging with God with their mind and their soul and their hearts. Uh, and as we do that, it's dead. And if at the end of a song you haven't got a clue what you've just sung, it was dead. And if you sat there during the prayers wondering about what's on the WhatsApp feed and so on, and you've got no idea about what we've just prayed for as a church family, it's dead. And if you haven't heard anything in the sermon yet, it's dead. Mere formality. No change of heart. No engagement. It's what worship is. Worship is engaging with God through the various things that we do together tonight as we meet. And when we come to church, for instance, to worship with others, it means that we must intend to engage with God through the words that we say and sing, through the stuff that we hear, through the prayers and the Bible reading and so on. Uh, it needs to be our clear intention when we come. So why not pray for next week, before you leave home, say, Lord, I really want to engage with you. I want to be there tonight. I pray that everyone who's there tonight will really want to engage with you as your people, as we meet at BH tonight. And then there's this devastating description of dead religion in verse 28, where he says this, Therefore say to them, This is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God, or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It's vanished from their lips. Now when a church, when a church has stopped speaking truth to one another, in our sermons, in our small groups, in our one-to-ones, in our conversation over coffee, then if we're speaking medically, the patient's died. Can religion drive us away from God? Well, tragically, yes, it can. It's just the opposite of what it's intended to do, but it can actually take us away, and it can do that when it's de-biblical, when it's dead, and third, when it's deceived. If we're deceived. So look at verses 2 to 11 here. And in Jeremiah's time, it was seriously deceived. They thought they were okay. They were saying, guys, we've got the temple. Now, temple theology was this. It said, God won't allow disaster to come to God's place or God's people or God's land or God's king because they are inviolable, okay? You can't do anything. We're, we're protected, super, super protected. 
so they were basically saying, we've got the temple, we're okay. And there was a parrot cry. So you look at verse uh, 4 here. And they've got this parrot cry in verse 4. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And their smug assumption, therefore, that was that they were going to be all right. And they'd been deceived. So you look at the beginning of verse 4. Do not trust in deceptive words. And then you have a look at verse 8 as well. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words. They're worthless. Because the truth of the matter was, the temple was not essential. It wasn't a fundamental thing. And when the Babylonians arrived, it was completely destroyed. They'd been deceived. They'd been told a lie. Jeremiah's saying, you're not safe here. Why are you not safe? Because of your way of life. Verses 5 to 8. Dead religion. Going through the motions. And your heart's not in it, so your life's not changing. Being deceived by rubbish teaching. They had, didn't they? You're God's people, you're in God's city, you've got God's temple... He'll never let you go. He'll never let the city go. He'll never let the temple go. You'll be okay. Trust me. That's what they were being taught. Babylonians will never turn up. God will protect us. Don't trust people who are teaching you up the garden path. The temple went. The people went. The city went. The land went. When the Babylonians arrived and where religion is based on lies it can just drive you away from God so check up on what you hear what's it say what's it mean how does it apply for instance think through the teaching think through the sermons think through what you're taught at KO and at feast and in small groups and so on don't be afraid to challenge and to question And please, if you ever move to another place and you're looking for a church, the most important thing, and it's far more important than the worship experience, is what is the teaching and the preaching like? You've got to ask yourself the question, if I settle at this church, will I be taught deceptions? Because that was what was happening with the people of God. And they were believing all sorts of nonsense, which meant that their religion was deceived or was actually driving them away from God. The fourth thing, can religion drive you away from God? Well, it can if it's deceived. And it will do if it's disobedient. And you look to see that in verses 5 to 7, 21 to 28, for instance. We've got to live out our faith It's got to make a difference to our lives. And it's often the sign that things are going wrong when that's just just not happening. And we see lives that aren't really being changed for the better. True religion must penetrate our lives. And it runs right the way through Jeremiah chapter 7. Bad religion is always a disobedient religion. So look at verses 23 and and 24. I gave them this command, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. They didn't listen, didn't pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. Or look at verses 2 and 3 of of, uh, 
Uh, must be chapter 7. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions. And you can look at verses 6 and 7 as well. From time to time, I come across churches where people come week by week, uh, and it looks good on the outside, but when you get to know them, you ask yourself, is this really making any difference in the lives of these people? Is it making any difference? I mean, they look like Christians on a Sunday, but in 12 hours' time, you'll be looking like thoroughgoing pagans, making no difference whatsoever as the language and the drinking and the gambling and the arrogance and the gossip and the sex lives bear uh, witness to. And it starts probably as soon as you get home. But where our religion is changing lives, then we can see God's at work. Now, it's a battle. It's a fight. Come and see in Romans, as the recent sermons have been saying, we know the Christian life is a fight. We're not perfect. We muck up. But bit by bit, we're crawling forward with God's help. And we want to move forward compared with dead religion, which moves backwards. Look at verse 24. I think 24 is devastating. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. Now look at this. They went backwards, not forwards. So let's be clear. You become a Christian... And in verse 9, he talks about other gods you have not known. And Christianity is about knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. Knowing them personally. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, knowing us personally. And because of that saving relationship, we want to live for God. We want to worship God for all that he's done for us. And most of all, of course, that Jesus came and he died and he was raised from the dead. Now, we're not always very good at worshipping God. We're not always very good at living for God. We foul up. I do. You do. We all do from time to time. But with God's help, we pick ourselves up or he picks us up. And by a spirit in our lives, we try again and we move forward. That is the authentic Christian life. The trouble is, well, there's really no bothering where there's really no life that is trying to be more like Jesus, then the worship is something of a religion which is actually, in the end, disobedient. Lord, I want to obey you. Please help me to walk with you this week. Sometimes it's a real struggle, and I know I'm going to be sorely tempted, but please, Lord, would you help me? And if that's in our hearts, then our worship of God will be begin to be and will grow as something genuine. And that will be good for us, rather than the religion which can be terribly, terribly bad. And then finally, and just briefly, uh, can religion drive you away from God? Well, yes, it can if it's defiled. Verse 9 and verses 16 to 20 is an example. Now, this stuff really hits home. Because uh, it's talking about um, something that's happening at home. 
It's talking about the worship of the Queen of Heaven. In other parts of the Bible, it's called the worship of Astarte. Uh, that's the, uh, the god or the mistress of heaven. A god that was worshipped by the uh, Assyrians and now the Babylonians as well. And uh, often worshipped by women at home. So they're getting the children to gather the firewood in the streets and they're getting the, the baking and so on done for things to offer uh, to this God. And there is a hidden worship and a hidden idolatry behind closed doors at home. Let's look at verse 18. It's all preparation for the worship of the Queen of Heaven. Long established. It happened in um, Amos's time, so maybe a couple hundred years before, 150 years before or so. And, uh, and so presumably they were saying, look, we've been doing this for years. Everything seems to be okay. What's the problem? It's just a you know, tradition that we have. It doesn't harm anyone. It's done in private. But God says at the end of verse 18, you arouse my anger and you're harming yourselves. Verse 19. They're breaking the first commandment. So when you've been worshipping the Queen of Heaven, you've been stained by it. And then when you come to worship God and you're unrepentant about what you've been doing, there's a stain, a defilement on the worship of God. It's like being mucking out the horses or digging the garden and you walk into church and you walk mud all the way through the place. It's that kind of idea. So what you do at home... And the stuff that we do there and that we think and we know, well, we think it's in private, it's okay. I know it's wrong, but it's not too bad and no one knows and all the rest of it. But are you unrepentant? Is there stuff there that needs to be sorted out between you and God? Because a defiled religion actually can drive us away from God. And our behaviors at home, for instance, can actually drive us away from God as we meet him now. Because it's what's in our hearts, which is seriously important. That's why in many of our services, we confess our sins to God. Well, we have that opportunity of saying to him, I've really fouled up this week. Lord, please forgive me because I really do want to worship you. And please help me to do that this evening. There are a lot of things which are quite hard to say and quite hard to take on board, aren't they, here? And let's pray to our God now that we'd be able to understand and take these things on board and that we would be able to serve and follow him faithfully. Let's pray. Father, when we see what the, your people were doing here and how they'd just got so much wrong thinking and they were just deceived and disobedient and just completely all mucked up. It is just alarming that actually your people can get to such a state. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to see the dangers, the warning signs individually and as your people and be a be a people we pray lord who would take you and your worship with great great seriousness we pray for jesus sake amen